The following is presented by Lanier Technical College, Concept One Pulley Systems, and Year One Classic Muscle Car Restoration Parts. Hit it! Hang on, you're now part of the fastest podcast on the planet, Bud's Garage Overdrive. Produced in the studios of Jacobs Media, located in beautiful downtown Gainesville, Georgia. On today's show, Joe Gibbs builds a NASCAR electric cup car. The difference between battery chargers and maintainers, Carolina squatting your truck, and Bud overthinks his truck. Plus, today's special guest is Rick Humphrey, president of Michelin Raceway Road Atlanta. Informative automotive buffoonery with Bud and Tim. Let's kick it into overdrive. Welcome in, folks. This is Bud Hughes, resident car nut, and Tim DePasquale, a poster to the stars. Tim, how are you doing today? I'm great, Bud. How are you? I'm, I'm just uh, excited to be doing another podcast with Oh, you. yeah. i uh, got a great guest today. Uh, we're going to have good fun with him. You know, we are lucky to live in the part of Georgia, you know, in the, in the country, mm-hmm. if you will. They haven't moved the city out here yet. Yeah. It's on its way, though. Well, I, I don't know. But we have such good police departments and... Uh, Emergency, emergency management people and things like that that help us out when we have storms and high winds and, you know, floods and all that kind of stuff. Uh, keep us safe on the roads and uh, the type of things to just, you know, make it glad to be in this part of the country. Oh, right. Do you know where some of those folks come from? Linear Technical College. Absolutely. They've got a criminal justice technology program. Um, you know, it's uh, related to policing, corrections, juvenile justice, and the theory of criminal law. Uh, and they're designed to meet the current trends in criminal justice with a uh, flexible classroom and online-based curriculum that leads to many different uh, passages that uh, in the field of law enforcement. And uh, a lot of things that I didn't even know existed in law enforcement. And you can get behind the scenes and, and learn about those things and find out if there's a fit for you. Mm-hmm. And that could, be, that could be criminal justice. It could be fire science technology. Right. You know, EMTs, emergency management people who, when we have a disaster locally, these people jump in and, and coordinate things and make things happen. So this is something that Linear Tech is, is doing on a daily basis, is training people like this, you know, to get into these careers, these public safety careers. Mm-hmm. So check them out at Linear Tech. Dot edu for these programs and many more sure all right moving on here joe gibbs racing team has unveiled an electric cup series car well, this the, is interesting the truth is finally out it's not only me that thinks that <laughs> after a while these cars are way too loud so they wanted to practice their uh tire changes pit stops yeah yeah pit yeah. stops yeah so they outfitted a race car with an electric motor so it would be quiet. Yeah. So that they could concentrate on yelling at the team members. Well, well I've been to many uh, pit practices mm-hmm. as an observer, and it is loud, it is crazy, and if you're not all wearing headsets, uh, it's just pandelirium, as they say. And <laughs> <laughs> pandelirium. <laughs> so this made perfect sense to me. they got a couple motors in this thing... Uh, and a 480-pound battery pack, and it's, it's charged for 100 miles of driving. Mm-hmm. So, um, and they have definitely upped the game on, uh, on pit stops, that's for sure. 
Yeah, that goes to show you how much money is involved in this race. Well, you know, when you can when you can do a pit stop in 8.6 seconds, like or 8.9 seconds, like they did in Kansas City, it's uh, three seconds quicker than a typical stop, and that comes from practicing and changing your choreography. Uh, when these teams are doing these, you've seen the cameras hanging over the cars. They get oh, back yeah. to they get back to the shop and they look at what went on because you can lose. Shoot, you lose 10 positions in, in uh, three seconds right. on pit lane. So by the time you get in and get out and go the speed limit and don't get a penalty. Oh, man, I would be fumbling with those lug nuts. I... <laughs> you don't have to worry about nuts now. It's just one. Oh. You just got one on each wheel. Really? Yeah. Wow. That's your speed But having this up. electric, well, what's going to happen is NASCAR's going to have a series, or there's talk of it. Okay, I don't know whether it's going to happen. They're going to have... 1,000-horsepower cars competing in 30-minute events, which will be electric-driven. Okay. So, a uh, 480-pound battery pack. I'm wondering, is we were talking about the taxis in, was it we, Korea or China, China, one of those China, places. where they replaced the battery yeah. packs. I wonder if that, so where that the would... fuel, for, So where the fuel cell is. Yeah. Especially if you're the DeWalt car. If you're, you know, <laughs> you got to where the fuel cell is, you just slide a big... Crazy battery in the back of the car. Heck yeah. Yeah. Oh, bud. This is going to be interesting. Thinking ahead. Thinking yeah. ahead. I don't know how. It, I've listened to the the E, Formula E, you know, mm-hmm. the Bob Varsha announces. Um, I've listened to those races, and all you hear is the tires squeaking. Cars going by. They make a noise of sorts. Yeah, that's kind of weird, though, isn't but it? But all you hear is, you know, going into the turns and stuff. You squeak, 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 squeak. It's, I don't know. But you'll be able to talk to each other at the races anyway. Well, yeah, there's, that's a big plus. You wouldn't have to take the... Uh... So what we need to do is we need to come out with a headset mm-hmm. that's got engine noise in it to make the people <laughs> happy when, when they go to a race and it's got electric cars. Yeah, okay. Somebody's going to take that and run with it. You know I'm it. telling you, you know somebody's going to take it and run with it. Oh, my goodness. Speaking of which, battery charges versus a battery maintainer. Now, you got, what, 14, 16, 20, how many cars? Tell me through Jody's listening. 14. Jody is away. 14 cars. 14 cars. How many battery maintainers have you got? I've got uh, four battery maintainers and three battery chargers, and I I use them all a lot, a lot. So I need to get some more battery maintainers. I actually wore out a battery maintainer. I kept it on my Harley for so many years mm-hmm. that it actually, uh, at some point, it just started flashing red. The inside guts it had burnt out on it. So the difference, though, it was telling you to take your bike out and ride it once in a while. Yeah, because this applies. Oh, to, sure. This not a, you know this applies when I say battery maintainers and stuff. Like you're charging your Harley up, mm. you know, if, if if you live up north, you're charging your snowmobile up in the winter or in the summertime because you're not using right. it. Well, some guys aren't. Some guys get, never mind. Some guys actually take them out in the summertime and ride them mm. on water and stuff. But oh, yeah. don't try okay. that at home. Uh, but, you know, the maintainers could be any part of the country, and, and so could battery chargers. So oh, go ahead sure. tell me the difference between well, the two. Well, the difference between them is a battery charger, when you hook it up to the battery, it charges the battery but it doesn't have a brain it's just pure electricity going in now a battery maintainer is a little uh more sophisticated yes and and it actually uh it'll clean the plates and stuff on the battery we're not we're not talking about something that's you know 20 years old and you're trying to bring it back to life we're talking about a battery that's in something like 
like my car or your Harley where you're not driving it all the time and, you know, you, you want to keep the battery fresh. Right. Let's assume right. you're starting with a battery that's not DOA and, you know, you're trying to keep it fresh. Exactly. A yeah. battery charger, there are some very sophisticated ones out there mm. and that you can buy. And all of these are available, by the way, at Complete Auto Parts. Right. And the battery maintainers or the chargers. And you can buy them. But some battery chargers, you know, that you you can jump start a car with and stuff like that. You got to be careful because they'll cook the battery. Oh, yeah. So, right. And you, you got to make wanna... sure that you got the right charger for the right kind of battery. Right. Right. Absolutely. Now, and it, there's another way. What I use, what I do with the motorhome is. Does this involve I... Coca-Cola? No, no, okay, no. Okay. All right. I just disconnect the battery yeah you know but you can't do that on a modern car because you got the computers on all the time right exactly and then it starts to do crazy things so it's important to maintain them and the battery maintainer will keep it at an even level without overcharging it and charge it as needed so that it's always ready to start right and you don't you know the the stuff that stays on doesn't discharge you have to reset your radio Mm -hmm. in my case you got to reset all the stuff that's on the dashboard right that i want on there took me two days to set it up when i first got the car um but you know and as far as chargers go i do have the you know the old style with wheels and you know that you hook up and and but i've got power grid i've got a couple of the new handheld noco those are good that yeah you can just carry them in the car with you and they sure do come in handy okay have you seen they are now (laughs) illegal this is the. This is something that I didn't understand until I read into it a little bit further. The, mm, the, Carol, the trucks the, with the Carolina squat. Carolina squat. Now, do you know where that came from? Yes, I do. Because okay. I research it. Okay, before it was called the California or the the Cali- California lean. No, the, yeah, the North. Before it was called the squat, it was called the Calaline. Calaline. Uh, which came from what? We looked it up. Yeah, well, California. That was it? That was your research? No, 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 no. No, okay. Because the way this started was Baja vehicles uh-huh. are lower in the back and okay. higher in the front so that when they're jumping, when they're going over rough terrain and they're jumping, the back of the vehicle will hit the ground before the front of the vehicle and right. prevent the vehicle from getting totaled and the front suspension becoming destroyed. Much like, you know, back in our day, bud, people would jack up. through roundabouts? <laughs> we didn't have that. Right? <laughs> they had, cars were jacked up in the back with air shocks. Yeah. Like dragster style so that when you got, when you got on it off the line, it would squat. Squat down. No, it was yeah. usually because we had the wrong tire and wheel combination. <laughs> it didn't want them to rub the fenders. And but. in West Virginia, we painted the underneath of our cars white. Why? I, it was just a thing. Just a thing. It was just a thing. And the cops were forever measuring the uh, pavement to the rear bumper to try and give us tickets. Well, th- this is a problem with these trucks, though, because the headlights are, you know, shining up way into up the, in the trees. trees. You can't see pedestrians or no. small animals. I no. think it's the dumbest looking thing. But, it, it, you know, they say it depends on whose neighborhood you're in as to how stupid your car looks. <laughs> oh, they say that? They do say that. <laughs> Well, anyway. I think it was actually, I think it was Burt Reynolds that said that in the movie Smokey and the Bandit. Could be. We'll have to check with Tim on that. Okay. Tim Phillips. Our, yeah, we our will. Smokey and the Bandit guy. Uh, but the Caroline, uh, or whatever you want to call it, the Carolina squat, has, uh, you could lose your license for a year now if you do this. If they catch you three times, 
you'll lose your is life. Is it three times? Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah it does yeah. say three if times. If you read the whole article, bud, you'll see that. If you, if you get caught three times, you'll lose your life. If you read the whole article. <laughs> okay, but let's see. We always thought it was guys that could only afford... Half, uh, of, half, half of a lift half kit. Half of a lift kit. They were waiting for their next paycheck to get the rest and I, of it. And I've, I'm so far behind. You know, I'm lowering my truck. I'm looking at these. I'm thinking, bud, you lowered your truck. That was kind of so I could get in and out of the thing. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I mean, it looks better, too, I think. I don't I like I don't like all that space between the what they call, tire uh, and the... What they call dead cat space? Yeah. The tire, the yeah, space the between the tire and, and, and the yeah, fender? Yeah. 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 Okay. okay. Well... Well, <laughs> I, I want to go. I want to go a little further with the Carolina squat thing. Okay. You know, Bud, when he bought his pickup truck, mm. first thing I did was, yeah, you you took the suspension out of the rear. I took the suspension out of everything. Out of everything. Front. Right. I put coilovers on the front. Mm-hmm. Flipped the springs on the back because I want to lower it down. Yeah, and it looks good too. Oh, thank you. Because I wanted it to look more like a reminiscent of the lightning trucks mm-hmm. of Yorn. Uh, that you can't buy anymore. Well, they've got a version coming out. But the single cab short box truck, I wanted to sit down a little bit. Okay. Put some custom exhaust on it. Yep. And, you know, a little bit bigger wheels. Mm-hmm. Nothing crazy. No. And I, I have people say, hey, wait a minute. Where'd you get that truck? You know, what what version is that? And I, right. It's, because Bud, it's Bud's version. Everything that you've done to that truck is so very subtle. Like me. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Here's what I did to the. First of all, I did a 2-4 drop on it when I bought it. Mm -hmm. Put coilovers in the front, modified coilovers that were adjustable, drops the truck two inches in the front. Okay. Okay? Then, in order to get the back lowered down to get rid of the, what do you call it, the dead cat space? Yes. The space between the tire and the the, the fender. Yeah. I don't want to see the box of the truck. Right. I also got... uh, wheel liners that went in there from ford mm-hmm. so uh, you don't have to uh line x or anything in there it covers up that whole area so you, c- you can't see the frame of your truck okay that's just a bud thing mm-hmm. okay yeah. in order to do that i had to flip the axle so i had to take the the rear i didn't take the rear end out of the truck you don't necessarily need to do that but i suspended the rear end dropped the springs off the truck put special shackles on put it all back together and then bolted it back together okay, okay. so that all gave right. me the drop on the back all right then, first time I hooked a trailer to it, it's, oh. com- it's coming down on the bump stops. Now you've got the Carolina squat. More frequently than I wanted to. Well, no, it really didn't squat the truck that much. It still mm-hmm. got a good suspension. But yeah. it, you, could hear, you could hear it coming down on the bump stops. So bump stops are rubber blocks, for folks that don't know, right. between your frame and your axle. Mm-hmm. So you don't damage the suspension. It comes up against the, the bump stops. And it can damage the rear axle if you tow things you know, on those bump stops all the time. Okay. And I've seen trucks going down the, you know, the interstate that are on the bump stops, I oh, guarantee yeah. you, with yeah. what they got. So, Bud decides to put small airbags on the back, only to be used when I'm going to be towing a trailer. Oh, sure. And occasionally, I, I tow a car trailer. Mm-hmm. So, I buy a set for the, specifically for a a dropped truck, or what we call a slam truck. My truck's not really slam, but what we, we call a drop truck, okay? Mm-hmm. So I buy a set from a company. I'm not, I'm not going to go off on the company. They're a very good company. They were, uh, you know, started out in the 1940s. I put a lot of their airbag stuff. Not so much the bags for uh, customizing a truck, but for helping it carry more load. Right. Over, they're overload bags. Helpers. If you, yeah, if yeah. you will. 
So I buy a set that fit a slam truck, mm -hmm. and it says right on the instructions what it fits an Ford F-150, blah, blah, blah. So I put the truck at ride height on jack stands, take the wheels off, mm -hmm. and do all my measurements, and I lay out all the brackets, all the bag and everything, and I got it all clamped to the truck before I drill any holes or do any welding or anything. And I call up the company, and I said, look, it, I, I, you know, I've got this, this truck. Mm -hmm. I got your bags. And he starts out by saying, they won't fit your truck. And I said, well, why not? He says, because they only go to 214. They changed the frame in 214, 2014. Okay. And I said, well, I got it all mocked up. It looks great. All I need to know is what's the stroke on the, what do I have to do about the stroke of the piston inside the airbag? Uh -huh. Does it need to be, you know, parallel to the spring, parallel to the, the frame? You know, mm -hmm. how are the, what's a bracketry supposed to be? And he, he repeats, well, it won't work on your truck. I said, look, at, I understand. We're being recorded. I'm not looking for a warranty. I'm just trying to solve a problem here, and I'm capable of fabricating what I need to do it. He wouldn't budge. So, finally, well, I got him to budge, finally. What yeah. he said to me was, okay, when the bag has air in it, it'll expand to so many inches. Uh -huh. And I wanted to know how much it would expand in diameter so it's not rubbing a shock or something like that. Trying okay. to do it safely. You're right. And he right. did give me that information lately. Well, or, you know, thank goodness. Finally. Yeah. But all during the conversation was, you can't do it. And I asked yeah. him how many he had put on Ford trucks, and he told me, oh, I've done a lot of them. And I said, oh, okay. Yeah. All right. Yeah, yeah. All right. But, right. but uh, ironically, the girl on the phone, because I also mentioned to this, uh, the, this to the, the tech guy, that the girl on the phone... I, I told her what I was up to, mm -hmm. and she says, you know, some guys uh, do that on their mud buggies for whatever reason, and she said they have to put retaining straps on the axles so the, the axles don't extend out too far when they're doing a jump or something. Wow. I don't do jumps with my pickup truck, by the way, I just wanted you to know that. But okay. I wanted to know that if I put it up on my lift, which is a two-post lift, sure. I don't want it to rip the airbags. Mm-hmm. So I said, well, okay, I'm going to put retaining chains, rubber-coated retaining chains on my axle to, to do that. And I did. That's what they do in stock cars. It wasn't a big deal. So if you look up underneath your truck, it looks like a race truck. Well, I don't know. Got those chains got on there? Say, yeah, but the, I've, I've got them. Oh. You know, like I say, they're, they're enclosed in rubber. You'll never mm -hmm. see them. Race truck, but <laughs> Race truck. <laughs> <laughs> So, Tim, last week we were talking about uh, pulley systems for big block Fords. And I know you and me really love dragging around the junkyards trying to find brackets for engines for these vehicles oh, yeah, that we're yeah, building. Yeah. Or, these... or fabricating oh, some yeah, out yeah, of, yeah. Uh, no. you know, it, Just eliminate all that. Reach mm -hmm. out to the people at Concept One. They're here in Cumming, Georgia. And if you need a kit for a 289, 302, 351 Windsor, um, long or short water pump engine, they have got the configuration for you. The first kit that they have with all the brackets, all the pulleys, and an alternator allows you to choose different alternators depending on how many electronics you have in your car. And that kit's under 900 bucks, 895 They also have a small block kit with an alternator and air conditioner. Again, you can, you can spec out your alternator. You can spec out your compressor and the different finishes on it. And you may need to drill your block on some of these kits because some of the, the different engine blocks had different bosses on them, mm -hmm. and some of the bosses aren't drilled. You know, when they were manufacturing them, they don't drill them because of what car they're going in or something. Right. They've got the jig and everything you can put in there, get the hole drilled right, and get it finished off. So that's for the uh, small block kit and alternator and AC. 
or you can get the Ford small block kit with the alternator and power steering if you're not putting AC in the car. It allows you to choose your pump configurations, and again, you can upgrade your uh, your alternator, long long or short water pump, and the finishers uh, are uh, machine finished, polished finished, anodized black or anodized chrome. And if you want to do the whole nine yards, as they say, yeah. Do you know what the whole nine yards is all about? No. No. It was a military term. I that's thought. your homework. I think oh, it has something to do with God. the you know, the bullets. I, I don't know. Well, that's your homework for next week. All right. Ford small block kit with alternator AC and power steering is just over two grand, two thousand forty-five. Gives you again your power uh, steering pump configuration, power uh, flow rates, um, pressure valves, alternator upgrades, and compressor upgrades and finishes on each of these things. Okay. Now, the last car I built, I did all black anodized. Mm, I bet that uh, turn good. Well, the cool thing about it is black anodized, and then the, the, the Allen bolts and everything uh-huh. were chrome, and it just, yeah, oh, it makes not chrome, they were pop. polished, but yeah. it, just, it just adds uh, just a great, a great look to it. Mm-hmm. So check out all the things they have at Concept One Pulley Systems. If you need help, they have videos, and you can call, and the guy that answers the phone is running the CNC machines. Yeah, so... You, uh, and you can talk to the guys that are actually making this stuff. Right. And, uh, you know, they can help you out. That would be And awesome. save you money in the long run. Well, we thought Dan Elliott overthought things, but... What are you geez, saying, but, Tim? Uh, on, on that truck suspension <laughs> redo, uh, you kind of took that... Well, oh. one thing leads to another, uh, you know? Yeah, yeah. yeah. So I mean, it's a new truck. I know, but... <laughs> but I, you can make it better. I, I just took the brand new suspension off of it. <laughs> what am I thinking? Uh, but it drives great. I'm sure it Had does. Had it up in the yeah. mountains and stuff, and it, it does a... You know, it really handles well with the sway bars and stuff on it. And, mm-hmm. uh, you know, the lowered suspension, you move it down low. I can get in and out of the truck now. That's the biggest well, thing. Well, that's the main thing. You know, I got right. tired of, you know, the little ladder that I had to You would throw do behind anything to not have to put running boards on your truck. I am not putting running <laughs> boards on a truck. <laughs> Well, this week's guest is just a great guy. He is Rick Humphrey, president of Michelin Raceway Road Atlanta. And he started out in NASCAR. Now, obviously, Road Atlanta is now, or Michelin Raceway Road Atlanta is now owned by NASCAR. Mm-hmm. Rick started out in NASCAR, and he's a, he's a, he's a, a big baseball guy. Who'd have oh, thunk? Yeah. Who'd have thought, right. So I'm going to let him tell the story. Um, but here we go with Rick Humphrey from Michelin Raceway Road Atlanta. Rick, welcome into Bud's Garage Overdrive, the podcast. Hey, Rick. Thank you so much for having me on. I've, I've done, uh, I think, one other podcast, so uh, this is exciting. Oh, good. This is, uh, so you've opp- done one in a row. <laughs> Oppor- opportunity to, uh, to talk a little bit longer. Okay. Well, that's, that's, what, that's the whole deal with the podcast. We want to get as deep and as much information and, you know, find out about the folks that are behind uh, the business, motorsports, whether it's racing car restoration driving whatever whatever interests people automotively and uh you know find out a little bit about rick humphrey so the first question i I usually ask folks is when did the bug bite when did the car thing get you or was it a car thing that got you so i i don't i don't know that it's ever really been a car thing um so in the in the i grew up in eastern north carolina and in the late 70s, I guess it was 1979. In fact, I know it was 1979. Um, my parents took me to Rockingham for the, the NASCAR race. And in 1979, this small thing had happened in Daytona 
where Donnie Allison and Kel Yarbrough wrecked coming to the checker flag and Richard Petty won and it was it was big buzz and so uh, it's it's so if we have time I'll share because it, it's a uh, well, we have time yeah, <laughs> good time. good so I, I recall. February 79, my granddad was in the hospital and my sister came back up and said, uh, uh, cause she was down the lobby watching that. I'm sure she wasn't watching the race, but the race was on TV and she came back and said, Richard Petty just won the Daytona 500. Two guys were fighting. And so, uh, out of all that, my granddad was getting out of the hospital, but my dad told my mom, will not you see, uh, when is that race at Rockingham? Cause they had been before. And my mom said, I think it's in a couple weeks. And so sure enough, they got tickets and Went to my very first race in, in, uh, in uh, I think, probably February or March of 1979. So how old were you then? Um, I would have been 10. 10 I would have okay. been 10. Right. and uh, kid. Yeah, yeah. And so, and so from there, it just kind of evolved that my family would go to six, seven races a year uh, as I was a kid. So we'd go to both races at Rockingham, both races at Darlington, went to Charlotte for both races. And then in 1980, we began going to Daytona. And we would go down for like 10 days. We would go down and, and uh, for the qualifying and, and, the, and the bush clash and uh, the qualifying races. So I guess what evolved out of all that was my interest in the personalities in the sport. Never was much of a Chevrolet or a Ford guy or, or um, uh, any of that. It was more... It was more Daryl Waltrip. It was more Richard Petty. It was more the Allisons, you know, and, and, uh, and then along came Bill Elliott. And, but I still always stayed true to Daryl Waltrip, you know. So that's where my, that's where my uh, interest in the sport came. It was about statistics. It was about knowing that um, Richard Petty won the Daytona 500 in 1979 because two guys crashed on the backstretch and Daryl Waltrip ran. So those were the things that intrigued me. That was the knowledge that I desired and the knowledge that I sought after. It wasn't that Richard Petty in 72 ran a Hemi big block or whatever. Heck, I couldn't tell yeah, right. you, you know, so it was, uh, so my knowledge on, uh, on cars to this day is still minimal. But my interest in motorsports has been in existence since I was 10 years old, and I'm 53 now. So it's uh, it's been been quite a quite a run, quite a career, quite a what started as a hobby has ended up being a career. How did you take the hobby, you know, in in junior high school, high school, beyond? When did you start to to see that you were? oriented towards the people side of things and you could make a living doing something with that <laughs> when, when i realized i sucked at baseball can I, <laughs> can I say that word can i say that word on the air sorry uh, but so so i my yes you my, can say baseball on the air. Okay. my my first my first love in sports and uh and probably still is today because i have a son that plays is baseball i just love baseball man well that's what that's what i did growing up that's what never did race i, I thought i was going to be a racer one time uh, my dad owns a owned a construction company and um he had a guy that that raced go-karts and i won't ever forget we were at uh we were at this guy's he was a mechanic a, a bulldozer mechanic and uh, my dad asked him he said uh you know what would it cost to put him in a go-kart you know what what, what kind of money are we looking at and uh I don't even remember what the dollars were, but the guy, he said, we can do it, you know, and he, he said, well, what we'll do, he said, uh, we'll go home and talk to his mom about it, and, uh, and, and we'll see what she thinks. So we went home, and mom's idea was a great idea. She said, well, why don't we go to 
so there's a racetrack uh, called Carter County Speedway. Still exists today. They run some uh, some of the Smart Modified Tour and some other uh, late model races there. It's now a paved car track, uh, paved stock car track. At the time, it was a dirt go-kart track. So this would have been probably in the early 80s. And so you could back your truck up, you back your pickup up to the turn there, a little, little fence, and uh, we sat on the tailgate. And I will never forget the class, the class that I would have been in, the young kids, <laughs> Over going into turn three, two carts hit one another. They bump tires. One cart jumps up and lands on top of the kid driving. Oh. <laughs> he, he ends up going off in an ambulance. And so, so for the rest of the night, when they would start the race, now we were sitting down in between turn one and two. So when they would start the race, they would go down into the turn one, and I would hide. I wouldn't. I wouldn't watch. I wouldn't watch them come through the turn. And uh, so I remember going home that night. I said, "I said, so Dad, what, what do you think? Think, think we could do this?" And he said, "You wouldn't even watch them going into the turn." So no, I don't think this is a good idea. I said, "Well, I can lay back. I can lay back, you know, and I can go catch them." So that ended my my driving career. <laughs> Wow. <laughs> so I'm not real sure how we got off on that, but, but baseball was always my first love. And I uh, was fortunate enough to go to college and, and, uh, and, and walked on. And, um, and uh, as a guy told me one day at Newberry, he said, I should have walked off. But anyway, I enjoyed, <laughs> I enjoyed four years of, of college baseball. But it was in that time frame where I, th- I realized, well, this is going to absolutely go nowhere. So if I want to be in sports and want to try to create an opportunity for a career, uh, maybe I should pursue this NASCAR motorsports thing. And where I went to college um, was not far from Charlotte. And at that time, the Charlotte Hornets were coming into existence. So they were, um, they were a new franchise. And a fraternity brother of mine was going back and forth uh, to Charlotte three days a week to intern for the Charlotte Hornets. It's like, whoa, that's possible? How, how is, man, that's a professional sports team. We're a little small college here. And so I asked my advisor, I said, hey, I have this desire in motorsports. What about, uh, can you, do you know somebody at Charlotte Motor Speedway that I might could uh, uh, intern over there in the PR department? Because my degree was in uh, uh, journalism, communications. And so sure enough, I, I ended up uh, getting an opportunity to, to be at Charlotte Motor Speedway for the better part of two semesters, uh, helping them in their PR department. And from there, just made some contacts and connections and uh, it kind of all evolved. Well, so was that your aha moment when you said, this is my passion? It was my opportunity uh, that grew into a passion, I guess you could say. So, uh, you know, and, and they always say that if you turn your passion into a profession, uh, it, it maybe is no longer your passion. Um, I will say there's been parts of my career where I've, I've felt that way. You know, it, it, is, a, it is a job. I've mm-hmm. been fortunate to, to, uh, to do what I've been able to do. But, uh, you know, when, when that opportunity presented itself for Charlotte to intern at Charlotte Motor Speedway, there was a, uh, uh, it was my first time really in the garage area. It's my first time really around those people that I'd always sat in the grandstands and watched. And I thought, well, this is pretty cool. This is pretty cool. So maybe it was an aha. And so, you know, that was, uh, that was my introduction. Mm-hmm. Now, when you were in the garages, were, you, were, were these your idols or were they just interesting people to you? Uh, idol may be a stretch, but certainly somebody that you looked up to, certainly somebody that, uh, 
you know, it's like, you know, people, I guess it's more like people that you had watched, you know, people that you had uh, sat in the grandstands. It seems so far away, you know, and then because you're sitting up here and they're down there competing and then to be in there with them is pretty cool. When, when did you learn that, you know, Richard Petty's not a whole lot different than Rick, Rick Humphrey? <laughs> I mean, obviously, you know, yeah. different deals, but you, you, was there a time when you, these are just regular folks. So probably that probably came about in the uh, in the 1993 time frame. So in 93, after a couple of years in the newspaper business as a sports writer, um, I got the opportunity to work for a company that had um, the public relations account for McDonald's racing team. Okay. Yeah. So at that time, Junior Johnson was the was the owner of that uh, of the cars that that sponsorship was on and so in 93 hut strickland was the driver and uh and in 94 it was jimmy spencer and so at that time was when i really even in the newspaper business you had a little bit of an idea but they were still seemed a little bit um i don't want to say untouchable but unapproachable maybe was the right word but those those years that i spent on the pr side and uh, interacting with those guys, and then their friends would come around, and you know, so it was a, it was more of an opportunity to get to to be around them. I don't want to say best friends with them or buddy up to them, but it was a opportunity to see, you know, they were and are and continue to be just regular people. Mister Excitement, fun tell, stuff. That was a story or two. Fun stuff. Jimmy Holy Spencer. cow! So really, you do have a lot of time. <laughs> so, uh, so, so after. 1993. So I joined that that job in um, like I want to think it was April, April, March or April of '93, and um, in '94, decision was made to uh, to to make a change uh, as from a driver standpoint. And so that was uh, uh, when Jimmy Spencer came over at the start of the 1994 season uh, to to drive for for Junior Johnson, and um, his name did not. Uh, did not disappoint um you know so started the season it was just really uh they were they were had some opportunities and started the season in daytona and things went went pretty well but things also went kind of sideways uh literally and uh some of the funny things that uh that happened were not necessarily funny at the time but looking back on them it's great so day uh talladega 94 uh again the super speedways at that time uh, that that particular team and juniors teams, Bill Elliott and Jimmy Spencer both had 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 some uh, some really fast race cars. In '94, uh, Jimmy was just he was up front and uh, stuck the front end of the car somewhere where the hole wasn't big enough for it to go, and, and created quite a quite a bit of a wreck going to uh, take the green flag after a restart. I'll never forget a guy by the name of Gary Dehart was Terry Labonte's crew chief at the time, and he walked, he walked by, by the pit, and he uh, he told Mike Hill, who was the crew chief of of Jimmy's car, and Gary pointed at it and he said, "Let me tell you," he said, uh, he said something to the effect that uh, if if somebody doesn't kick his butt, only he didn't say butt. If somebody doesn't kick his butt after this race, I will. And you let him know that, and that was what Gary Dehart said. So after the race, I think Jimmy finished like fourth or fifth, and he was furious because nobody would draft with him uh, at the end of the race. And um, and uh, after the race, back then the top five finishers would go to the gas pumps to fill up with fuel, and then they'd go away. And all all the post race, and that's where all the the media would gather to get the top five finishers. And uh, 
<laughs> so, so Jimmy gets out of the car. He is furious, and uh, and he's letting the media know how mad he is. And uh, uh, when he gets out of the car, Mike Mike Hill, the crew chief again, he said, uh, he said, he said, calm down. He said, I just want to warn you. He said, there's not a soul over there in that garage area that doesn't want to kick your butt. <laughs> he said, because you, you you haven't made any friends. So as Jimmy uh, as Jimmy is standing, Jimmy has a Jimmy's family support was always tremendous oh, yeah, his, his yeah. family would always he had i think four uh four or five siblings his mom and dad were always at the race and um and jimmy's dad was feisty Ooh, he was a feisty and uh ed ed was his name and uh we're standing there and uh he said uh jimmy was doing an interview and and something was said and he said there wasn't a soul out there with me today there wasn't a soul out there that would draft with me today i don't know anybody here that would have draft with me and Jimmy's dad piped up and he said, oh, Jimmy, I, I would have drafted with you if I was out there. And Jimmy stopped the interview and looked at his dad and said, I've raced with you before. No, you wouldn't. <laughs> <laughs> so it was, uh, that was quite, quite the experience and quite the, went on to win a couple races that year. The only two that he ever won, the only two that, uh, that that car ever won. And uh, uh, so won the 94 what was in the Pepsi 400 at Daytona and then went on to win in Talladega a couple of weeks later back when they still raced in in uh, in the summer at Talladega so uh he won those two races lots of lots of it was it was very neat because uh for the 4th of back in the day um for the 4th of July race uh uh you would the race was in the morning and you would you'd be back at the beach at you know early afternoon and uh that particular trip junior would allow his his crew to take spouses to to daytona and they and it was quite we had a lot of fun after after the race after the win and uh it was a it was neat to celebrate that and then of course jimmy was driving in a an arca road course race somewhere in, in the midwest and he had to leave immediately after the the all the winner's obligations were over but uh but yeah he did win two races that year another funny story we were getting in uh, at daytona they take you up to the press box for the post-race interviews and uh after getting going through the winter circle or the the victory lane celebration we all pile into this police car security car to go up to the press box and uh jimmy's son was probably i don't know he was maybe five or six years old little jimmy's what they called him and uh he said uh little jimmy said dad wh wh where are we going what's going on and uh he said he pointed up to the top of the grandstands where the press box is he says we're going up there son to the press box that's where they take the winner after the race you've never been there before son and little jimmy looked at him and said dad you haven't either <laughs> <laughs> like father, like son. Now, it's interesting. You, you, you say that he, you know, he did uh, won a couple races after that, Daytona and Talladega. Who started drafting with him after, <laughs> after never drafting with him? How did he get drafters so for it, those racetracks? So, so at Daytona, uh, for that July race, he and Ernie Irvin broke away. And so there was just a two-car two car battle towards the end. And uh, Jimmy made a move. I can't remember. I want to think he did something coming out of turn two, but he won by inches. It was a very, very close finish. And uh, so there was really no drafting help needed. He just kind of figured out a way to, to get Ernie, get around Ernie. And then at Talladega, if I could recall correctly, uh, he and Bill were up front, and uh, he was able to make a pass on Bill 
uh, several laps from the end and ended up holding him off. So he didn't didn't uh, didn't need much drafting help, and I don't know that Bill helped him around him much uh, or helped him, but oh, no. but he was able to hold off hold him off until he just, he just had the, enough car and enough nerve. He always had the nerve. Oh yeah, I always had the nerve. <laughs> what got you from from there to Talladega? Tell us the the steps from you know working with Jimmy and getting along the way to Talladega. Yeah, so super speedway. So uh, R.J. Reynolds, back when they were involved in in the sport with their Winston brand and Camel brand, Smoking Joe's, um, they had an opportunity in their sports marketing enterprises. And um, back then, if if uh, if you could get on it at, at at sports marketing enterprises, everybody knew that that was that was a, a, a cool job. It was a good job. It was uh, uh, they had big budgets. They had you, you know your salaries were were okay. And again, I was in my early 20s, so I guess I'm, 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 I should say it was good. So you're early but, 20s, single and, you know, doing uh, your deal. Yes, I was. Okay. I was single. And it was, uh, it was, uh, and they also had budgets to go do fun stuff. You know, like you could go, uh, entertaining was a big deal. Right. You, you could take media places and, and you could load the drivers up and go do things. And so spent a couple years there uh, uh, in 90. I guess it was 95 and 96, but I'll tell you the thing that really, it's where I first saw my, uh, it's where I first uh, saw a motorcycle race. Never been to a motorcycle race, never. So I go to mid-Ohio, and, and again, at that time, R.J. Reynolds had uh, uh, the Smoking Joe's race team, so they had a, a stock car in NASCAR, they had a funny car and a top fuel dragster in yeah. NHRA, they had a hydroplane boat, they had a, um, and then they had a couple. That was a Winston era, right? Uh, it was it was it had some Winston at one time and then it uh, it was Smoking Joe's for a while. They they changed brands, okay. uh, but very similar programs. So they had two uh, two two motorcycles and they would uh, two motorcycle teams. They run the Superbike and they run the 600 class. And so I go to Mid Ohio for this first motorcycle race and I'm standing in I, I think it was the press box or anyway whatever it was I was overlooking the front stretch. And about that time, I look down, and here comes this body just flailing down the front stretch, hay bales going everywhere, and I'm going eyes wide open. And I asked the person step aside, I was like, "How often does that happen?" He's all pretty frequently, and I'm like, "Holy <laughs> cow!" That's when I realized you got you got race car drivers, and you got motorsports guys, and then you've got motorcycle racers. And there, there's so both both categories have a lot of nerve but I give the nod to the motorcycle guys. Uh, so it was, uh, that was a neat time. I was there uh, for a couple of years and, uh, and in 90, uh, late 96, early 97, got the opportunity to, to move to Alabama and, uh, and, and work in, uh, head up the PR department at, uh, I use that word department loosely because I think it was me and, uh, uh, and an administrative assistant. Um, and, uh, so I was there from 97 to 2010, and, and uh, what a just uh, great place. I, I uh, Fond, fond memories of, of Talladega and the fun and the agony and the, the stuff that you would go through. Just you could prepare, I mean, prepare, prepare, and prepare for what the media may want, what the fans may want, and us. Every time they would trick you, they would come up with something you never thought of. And whether it was a fan or media, it was just it was it was a lot of neat stories, a lot of fun. How did you deal with the infield folks at Talladega? I've been to several races at Talladega with the campers and, and all that. 
Well, there was a time. It was interesting. There was a time where you tried to quell it, and there was a time you just chose to embrace it. <laughs> okay. <laughs> <laughs> Funny story. My boss at the time, uh, uh, he, uh, he, he, he was, he was going to clean up the infield. Uh-huh. He, he was going to. He was going to. You, you can't do that. Is what uh-huh. that was his message. So he went in there and he went in there and he uh, said he stopped this guy. Said, hey, you can't do that. The guy said, well, says who? Says me. Well, who are you? He said, well, I'm, I'm Grant Lynch. I'm the track president. Okay. So he pulls out his business card, hands him his business card, and the fan looks at him and says, anybody can have those printed. Grant, <laughs> Grant said, well, doesn't look like we're going to get very far here. It turns out walks off. <laughs> so, so that didn't go very well. Uh, but, yeah, just, uh, you know, it uh, – it's part of the experience. It's, it's what it what it grew to be and what it has grown to be. It's not what it once. I, I haven't been over there in years. I, I left there in 2010, and um, even during my time there, you know, you saw it. Uh, they had fun, and and but it wasn't the stories that you heard when the track first opened either. And that was one of the things that we fought when I was there. Is that so? Birmingham was always a challenge to get. Uh, get Birmingham to embrace, whether it be the corporate community, whether it be the fans, to embrace Talladega because of things that had happened there, you know, early on. And people, as you sport grew, as the facility grew, as the as the uh, uh, enhancements were made, you were still f- fighting that stigma, for lack of better words, um, that history. And I always said, uh, uh, even, even at Michelin Raceway Road Atlanta, you know, it's a 50 plus year old facility. It has a history. Which is, which is a good thing. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it's a 50-year-old facility. It has a history, which is not always a good thing. You know, so you, you fight it from both sides. It's, uh, it's interesting. Yeah, Bud and I were talking about that before you came in, about some of the history of Road Atlanta. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it's, uh, I, uh, we, had a, we had a driver come out, um, I guess it was a couple, a couple years ago. Each year we host the South Hall Business Coalition. Um, prior to Petit Lamar, and uh, uh, are fortunate enough to get a local driver to come out and talk about the sport, talk about their history. And this particular uh, this particular driver began to go down the path of uh, talking with, uh, oh gosh, um, I'm drawing a blank on, on who he had had on his podcast, uh, Randy Lanier, I think it was. And so yes. we all we all know the history of of uh, uh, of, of Randy. Um, both on and off the track and um and so he began to tell tell this group of business people south hall business coalition about Uh about the past and i'm like wow (laughs) we don't need that here now wow so i had to clear the air after we uh after we after he uh gave me back the microphone (laughs) those were definitely different times Uh, indeed indeed but you know they they almost had to be those events had to take place as it evolved into what it is now. Well, and again, I don't know all the history of what all took place and, and what kept um, race teams afloat back in the day. I mean, you know, Junior Johnson's uh, legend of, of, of running moonshine and spending sure. time in, in Ohio in prison is, is, is legend and uh, being pardoned by President Reagan. Um, you know, he, uh, that's how he got his start. And, you know, so, uh, Motorsports has certainly evolved over mm-hmm. the last 75 years, 
Yeah, I think there's a political correctness to it now that it's become more c- corporate. I mean, you see it in, in listening to interviews with drivers and stuff. You know, they're, they're prepped for interaction with the, the media now. Uh, that didn't have the same filters when you were in the media. Yeah, not to the same extent, but there's always been a there's always been a desire, a need to take care of those who are paying the bills. You know, and yeah. so uh, you know, when, you know, like right now we have Motul as a sponsor um, uh, for Petite Le Mans, Michelin Raceway Road Atlanta. We just didn't hang the name on it because we like Michelin tires. I mean, right, they're yeah. they're our sponsor. They help the they help the place go, and so. Uh, Motorsports has always been an industry that has leaned heavily on corporate involvement, and and part of uh, part of of corporate involvement is making sure that you uh, portray the right right uh, personality, the right character, and um, and how does it match up to what that that corporation's message is and. Motorsports is a little different from that standpoint than 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 other sports. You know, uh, one of the things that is interesting in uh, you take stick and ball sports, you take the Braves, the Falcons, uh, the Hawks. Um, they have a fan base. They have a local fan base, and you take uh, and they'll go see baseball, for example, eighty-one games a year uh, uh, before our Braves make the playoffs and extend that season, which is always good. But um, you know, you take a, a a Michelin Raceway Road Atlanta, a Talladega Super Speedway, you've got uh, Talladega, for example, you got two big events a year, you know, so you don't have that local team that's playing 81 games that gets that fan base. So your your fan base is coming from from all over. And um, so I guess where I'm going with that is from when you have those stick and ball, their sponsorships, their uh corporate involvement is more from the team standpoint not necessarily uh the freddie freemans of the world the dansby swansons of the world right where on our side we've got corporate involvement corporate partnerships coming from every direction basically and so that's the way our sport has grown that's the way our sport has evolved and that's what makes our sport sport go when did you see we've all been to the local stock car races and they got the mom and pop painted on the side of the car or whatever it was when did you see the change go from the mom and pop to the the more corporate stuff? And then in your in your position, you're seeing it go international. Is is that happening with all forms of racing, or is it just with the road racing, or where where has it morphed from, and where is it going to? That's a great question. I think uh, where it's going to, um, I, I'm not. I don't know that anyone knows. I know there's certainly a desire and, and a wish and a hope that it that it continues to grow and, and if that involvement um you know takes it international so be it it's certainly road racing i think lends itself a little bit more to international partnerships just because of the connection to lamar uh the connection to the various drivers that participate in our sport in the different countries that they represent so uh, certainly um the emsa side of the business probably lends itself a little bit more to to international uh, uh, sponsorships and, and partnerships. Now, this is this is kind of off in left field, but F1 under Bernie and F1 now, have you seen, it seems to me that F1 has, has really gained some traction with, you know, in the States with people watching F1. Uh, it used to be just the diehard racers that watched F1. Now it, now it seems like some of these names are, are common, you know, when you start talking about drivers and that. 
what what affected F1 or what has affected road racing? You know, NASCAR is part of IMSA, and how how does that change the dynamic? So to answer the F1 question, um, certainly what has happened and what took place at Coda last fall and the size crowd that they had. I was in Daytona recently in some meetings and uh, uh, of various promoters, and the gentleman from Coda gave some figures that were just astronomical. And it costs a, it costs a lot to put put those events on, as I understand, but the numbers that they were that they were reporting and saying were just through the very very uh, eye-opening, for lack of better words. And everyone attributes uh, a lot of that success to the Netflix series that is is out there. And oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, I'll be honest, I uh, have never been one to follow Formula One uh, much, if any, and I have not seen the series, but I understand it's really a, a good series that it's pits. very eye-opening. Yeah, yeah and, and, and it's... Some episodes, yeah. And it's... Uh, but certainly they're given given a lot of credit to that series and of course now they're going to um uh going to be in miami in may um so they're going to have a race a formula one race in, in miami and so it'll be interesting to see how that's in, embraced and and i hear ticket sales are going great for that race so uh, formula one is certainly uh you know and, and i've also read that there's consider consideration for something in the streets of las vegas so um i'm a believer that uh Motorsports interest grows motorsports fans. So if you're an F1 fan, a NASCAR fan, an IMSA fan, and there's more of it, I think there's an opportunity that you will continue to to gain fans, to gain interest. Um, and, you know, who's to say if an F1 fan, you know, going through the TV and sees an IMSA race that all of a sudden, you know, we can – transition them into also being an IMSA fan. When I was at Talladega, George Barber announced that he was building Barber Motorsports Park and, and it was going to be a, a racetrack uh, within, probably it's within 30 miles, 40 miles of, uh, of Talladega. And my comment then, and my comment still to this day is that, you know, there's room for, at that time, there was room for both. I mean, because the more motorsports you have in the community, the, the more you the more engagement that you you have the chance to get. Yeah, and especially on the NASCAR side now, the, the local short tracks and stuff, that that has kind of dried up to, to a large extent. And so, like you say, you have an IMSA race, or you have an F1 race, or you have a NASCAR, and they're all, you know, in the same proximity. It's just better for the, the whole sport of racing, if you will. Agreed. I think it's just uh, it's good for the motorsports industry as a whole. Ah, Okay. Yes, so the business that you're in is not always easy trying to be a family man with the traveling and some of the things that you have to do. How does that affect your family and your family life? Interesting uh, and a great question. Um, so one of the reasons in 96 I, I desired the Talladega job uh, was to get off the road. So I had been on the road since 93 and realized that uh, it, it's, a, it's a tough life. It's a, uh, you know, you always say, man, if I could just get a job where I got to go to all those races, oh, that'd, yeah. be, that'd be a dream job. And then you realize... You got to go to all the races. <laughs> yeah. I describe it as I got to see and continue to get to see a lot of neat places across the country. And even, even I've been to Europe a couple times. 
but I've also seen some places that without a racetrack, I would have had no desire to be there or go. I mean, you know, <laughs> let's just be honest. And so in 96, when the opportunity came up at Talladega, I realized it was a way to stay in the sport and stay and not have to travel as much. So, um, you know, at that time, it was only going to Daytona and Arlington and helping out there. So I was traveling, you know, five, six weekends a year. And uh, so... Um, actually had a had a failed marriage during during that time and so i don't know that that contributed but it certainly didn't didn't help being Mm -hmm. being gone and then uh uh in in 2002 i I got married and we began having kids in 2005 and by that time i was already off the road and 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 working at a racetrack where you know you had several big big weekends a year uh i will say now it's uh you know, at, at Michigan Raceway Road Atlanta, it's a challenge because, as I mentioned earlier, uh, you know, things are happening every weekend at the racetrack. And I have three kids, 16, 14, and 11. And, oh, by the way, one's a baseball player, one's a cheerleader, the other one's a basketball, softball player. Um, so guess when they play? They play on the weekend. The weekend and guess right. what? You know, they're they're not always in town. And so it's not uh, – so it, it's a – it's a it's a it's a challenge but i've been fortunate to have support where you know they get it and they understand and and uh and i certainly do everything i can to get to as much stuff as as i as i possibly can do your children like motorsports my wife and i made a comment the other day um so she one of my kids pointed out and maybe my youngest i can't we were watching the rolex 24 on tv and she said um hey dad is that is that is that where you were is that is that where you you've been this week and and then another one gets in the car i picked her up saturday night and uh and she said uh hey so dad why were you down in daytona were you planning the event were you in meetings so they're starting to ask questions and they're getting ready to leave the house here in a couple years you know going off to college or whatever so they i try i have tried probably too much to not incorporate them in what i do uh and, and I don't know if that's the right way or the wrong way, um, you know, because I, I wouldn't mind if they got into motorsports, but also know, you know, when you're in the motorsports business, it is weekends. It is, oh, yeah. it's not nine to five. It is, it's a grind. And it's, uh, even on the promoter side, it can be, it can, it can force you to miss a lot of stuff as a family person. Mm-hmm. Um, and my wife made that comment when I said, hey, I said, uh, uh, my, my middle child, Caroline, I said, Caroline's starting to you know, ask questions about, about racing and but she goes and she made the comment about how uh they haven't they haven't been to the track a lot they don't they don't come out there a lot because either a they're at uh cheerleading basketball softball or baseball or um i, I just haven't right or wrong and said hey why don't y'all come out this weekend yeah so. that's interesting because you know when i was teaching in the at the technical college and involved in motorsports before then and after that it started with drag racing and and being around that sport a lot uh my kids didn't want to necessarily go to a race or something with me in the later years because they they didn't have much of me once i got there because there were so many people that you know i interacted with or interacted with me and I would imagine that, you know, it's, it's, it's a tough deal for you, especially if it's a race. You'd probably be better going to a race at a different track where you're not involved in the management. But if you try to do something where you're 
you know, you're the honcho and everybody wants an answer from you. You don't get a, a whole lot of family time. Well, and, and yeah, they, they understand that when they have been out or they are able to come out, they understand that typically my wife will take them and they'll go some, mm-hmm. you know, go somewhere and watch or, or be, be a part of it in a different way rather than, than be beside of me. But our, our, I would say our family passion is, is baseball um, from a standpoint of uh, my, my, my son plays and then my, my middle child she can, I mean, she can rattle off brave statistics. She absolutely, That's cool. she loves baseball. And I see her, uh, I see her carving out a career, hopefully, in, in baseball. In baseball. Mm-hmm. Um, and then my youngest, she is, uh, she's very much, um, while she plays sports, she's very much into drama and and loves the uh, singing and the acting and, and that type of stuff. So she, she's one that keeps us on her toes. And she is, so she's the kid that, that she's not afraid to try anything. Right. And she also has the talent that they want to keep her around, you know. So so she's not the best on the team and she might not be the best in the play or the best in best in the chorus, but she's good enough to and so that keeps us moving around to to various things supporting her. So it's uh it's fun. I mean, for lack of better words. The road from Talladega Super Speedway to Michelin Michelin Raceway Road Atlanta was Road Atlanta when you got here. How did that how did that transition happen? So that was a that was a three year, four year stop in Birmingham at Barber Motorsports Park. So I uh so interesting story in, in two thousand and ten, um I got asked to, to go to leave Talladega to go to Daytona to take a, a corporate position within ISC. And I was going down to work for a gentleman by the name of Joey Chitwood and Joey mm-hmm. of the Chitwood Thrill Show fame. Um uh so I go down to to uh to work for him. And it was more in a uh, corporate operations role uh, with the racetracks. And when I get down there, uh, one thing, we got down there in April. And by uh, mid to late summer, there was some rumblings going on and, and some things happening. And uh, they, um, they, they made a change over across the street at the Speedway. And the, the president, they, uh, he moved out. Chitwood went in to run Daytona. And so that left me without a boss. And then they, they made a change where the guy who had asked me to go to Daytona, he was no longer with the company. So um, the writing was, was on the wall. And I got the message shortly thereafter that, um, that there was some reductions being made and that my, uh, not only was my job being eliminated, the whole, whole department was gone. So, uh, so they, um, I stayed there through November of 2010, I guess it was, and ended up back in Birmingham working for zoom motorsports which is the promoter at barber motorsports park um uh actually it's a golf company called the bruno event team this happened to have a a motorsports arm so i stayed there for uh till 2014 till i came here so over there they had uh indycar races they had uh, a huge huge vintage motorcycle event uh they had uh ama moto america at the time um and uh, just typical business like we have here at Road Atlanta, a lot of track day stuff, a lot of chin motorsports, um, some motorcycle racing through Wira, SCCA. Uh, the Porsche Sport Driving School is a big customer over right. there, and so they're on track quite a bit. So, um, so that's what I did for, uh, ran that department uh, and the promotions at, at, <clears throat> at Barber for several years. And then in 2014, the opportunity came up to, uh, to come, I actually take a role with a division of IMSA called IMSA Properties. At that time, the president of, of Road Atlanta and Sebring, 
as well as the hotel down at Sebring, they were all reporting to Scott Atherton. And at that time, Scott was busy in his role, uh, having come from ALMS and, and trying to run IMSA, that the properties were not, um, were not getting a lot of Daytona involvement, not getting a lot of, uh, which, was fine, which was fine for the tracks, I'm sure. But so they created this position of vice president of IMSA properties and, um, and reached out and, and uh, asked if I was interested, and I was. And uh, due to the fact that I had moved my family to Daytona one time before and it didn't work out, I was like, uh, is there some place we can go and have this position besides, besides Daytona? And so they said, yeah, you could be based at, at Road Atlanta in Brazelton if you would like. And so that's how it came about. And so I did that position from uh, the fall of 2014 until the spring of 2020. Um, as part of COVID and uh, some things that were going on with our company, uh, NASCAR and ISC becoming one entity, and um, uh, Jeff Lee, who was a great, great promoter, great track president, had been in the role for, for more than 20 years, um, he decided it was uh, to take an opportunity that was presented to him, and, and he left the company. And, um, and so it just made the most sense for me already being positioned uh, at... at uh, Road Atlanta with my office and everything, and so uh, they they said this is what you're going to do, and you're going to go back into being a, a track president, general manager, and uh, had no had no heartburn with that at all. I've been here before, and uh, you know, is it different? All tracks are different. Um, at the end of the day, you're promoting motorsports. At the end of the day, you're you're making sure that uh, uh, you're bringing in more money than you're sending out. And, that's what it's all about, yeah. running the business. <laughs> let's, let's bounce back to Barber Motorsports Park for a minute. Were you involved at all, because the museum there is unbelievable, were you involved at all with coordinating some of that museum stuff? So the museum is all, um, as the racetrack itself, the Barber Museum is owned by the, the Barber Foundation. Okay. And so his employees, um, Mr. Barber's employees, uh, restore, collect, and exhibit all those uh all those vehicles, motorcycles, boats, cars. They've done a good job. Unbelievable collection. Yeah. Unbelievable collection. So back here in Brazelton, what's uh, what's next for Rick Humphrey? Oh, wow. Um, heck, I can't figure out what's going on tomorrow. <laughs> uh, again, did, I mean, what part of this podcast did you miss that I've got three kids? Yeah, I understand. And, and a very supporting <laughs> wife. Yeah. So, so knowing what, uh, so you may wake up in the morning with a plan. And, uh, and before you get to work, it's already changed. But, you know, obviously, um, there's, a, there's a great opportunity at, at Road Atlanta. And there's a great opportunity to, uh, uh, we have a young staff. So the mm-hmm. opportunity to, to mentor and, and grow and, and help them reach the next levels of their career, whether it be at Road Atlanta, whether it be in, within our company, NASCAR uh, company, or uh, just in motorsports in general. So uh, I would like for, you know, to be able to take advantage of that, be able to, uh, we've got some really, really sharp people. We've got a really great staff at, at, at Road Atlanta that I'd like to see uh, help them grow along the way. And then we also have a 50-plus-year-old facility right. that um, needs some attention. Um, and... The Michelin Tower has been a great addition, opened in 2019, but also what the Michelin Tower deal, Michelin Tower did is it made you recognize how, how bad some of the other stuff looked or how much, how much need uh, there is 
at some of the other places on the property. Um, so uh, great desire and great, uh, great hope that uh, Jeff Lee, who I, who I succeeded in 2020, certainly left the place better than he found it. Oh, yeah. And I yeah. hope to be able to do the same thing. You know, whether it's a, whether it's a paved road that leads into a, to a parking lot or whether it's a, paved, a newly repaved racetrack or whether it's a, a new restroom. You know, something that, that uh, when, when I'm able to, to retire, and again with three kids, may not be anytime soon, <clears throat> but I, I hope that they say he left it better than, than he found it because that seems to be a trend, and, and Jeff certainly did that, and I hope to be able to do the same thing. Mentoring. Who were your mentors along the way? Wow. Um, you know, I, I would say my, my, my dad certainly was someone to look up to. So he, seventh grade education and uh, ran a, a successful small construction company. Um, we, never, we never wanted for anything um, except not to do what he was doing. He, <laughs> he, he worked too hard. Uh, but, but he, uh, so he had a set, I'll never forget, I was a senior in high school and he said, uh, we were at breakfast. We, have, we always go to breakfast on Sunday mornings as, as my mom and dad and, and uh, my sister was already, had already moved on. And uh, uh, my senior year, he said uh, two, two things, same restaurant, credible message he delivered to me in seventh grade, uh, January of my seventh grade year, we were getting ready to have midterm exams. I was freaking out, man. I never had such a thing and I was worried. I was just going to not do good. So my dad, he said, uh, well, you could do what I did when, when exams came up when I was in seventh grade. I was like, please tell me, Daddy, what was it? What was it? I just quit. I was like, oh, I, can't, I can't do that. And then, uh, and then in, um, in, uh, when I was in 12th grade, he said, uh, he said you know, what are you going to do? What, what's your plans for, you know, you going to go to college? Most of those conversations happen with my mom because my dad, again, seventh grade educated, ran a construction company. Uh, you know, they left the house at 7 a.m., they would they would quit at six and if the job was an hour away he didn't get home till seven you know so so not a lot i mean uh so those conversations took place with my mom my mom had an idea what i was thinking and so he asked me he said what uh he said what are you going to do and he said i said i think i'm gonna go to college he said well that's fine he said you know if you want to go to college the money's here he said but but there's also a job here if you want it well heck i'd done that in the summer i knew i didn't want that but <laughs> but he said he said but no, understand he said don't don't go off to college and we spend all this money for you to go to college and then come back and want to run a bulldozer. And I was like, okay, because he said it didn't take that. It didn't take a college education for me to get what I Now, if I'd have come back and said, hey, let's do this, he would, yeah, I'm right. sure he would have embraced it. Sure. But, yeah. but in my mind, that always came, that, that was always in my mind that uh, that, that just wasn't going to be an option. Now, again, I was a little lazy and I didn't want to do it anyway because, again, he worked really hard. And he didn't, I never saw my dad invest or take chances with money. The way my dad made his money was he just worked a little bit harder. Sure. You yeah. know, just, you know, take on another job, hire another crew, buy another bulldog. You know, it wasn't, mm -hmm. wasn't a big operation, but it, 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 it did well. And uh, so I would say he was the one I looked up to just from a hard work standpoint because he was, because if there was anybody who could, who you could point to and say he got what he got because... He worked hard. I mean, he grew up in a family on a farm of had. He was one of eleven kids, and Ooh, they wow. didn't. They didn't. Uh, they didn't have a whole lot, you know. Mm -hmm. And so he and his brothers. Um, it's interesting because he and his brothers all. Uh, one one other brother was in construction. Another brother was in masonry, sheetrock. So they all found a trade, and, and only one of eleven graduated from high school. One of eleven, mm -hmm. and uh, 
but but all of them kind of found a trade, started their own companies, and did very well for themselves. And it was all because of hard work. So I would say he he was probably the one that I or is the one that I looked up to the most. Uh, as far as mentoring inside the inside the industry, um, you know, I, I don't know that anyone really ever took me under their wing. Um, I'd say Grant Lynch at, at Talladega. Uh, probably, uh, I worked for him the longest, and he had the most impact, and and probably helped guide me. Uh, best message he ever delivered to me was uh, when I was in PR. He uh, he came to me. Uh, I came to him. I hadn't been there very long. I came to him and I asked him a question. He said, uh, I forget what it was even about. Maybe an advertising question. He said, If I got to make those, if I got to make those decisions, why do I need you? And I was like, mm. he just opened my, he just opened the door for me. He just gave me this department to run. You there, know, there you I, go. I mean, so he just said, it's yours. And, and that was probably the most impactful message uh, he ever, uh, he ever gave or anybody's ever given me, you know, just because uh, I tend to treat employees that way and hope that they'll embrace the same, embrace that message the same way. And sure. I've kind of, if you gotta, if you, you're paid to do a job and, and, you're going to make mistakes, yeah. but I'd rather make a mistake trying than, than not try oh, and, and, and fail. Yeah, absolutely. We've talked everything from go-karts to F1 and in between. What racing series would you like to see come to Michelin Raceway Road Atlanta that they don't presently have, and what would be feasible? Well, and, and the way we currently are structured right now, I'm not sure that... Uh, you know, I'm not sure what else we could take on, but certainly anything inside the NASCAR family, I think, would be uh, a welcomed addition. Now, feasible, uh, certainly some things we would have to have to look at and what we'd have to do. Barriers whether, and stuff like that. Whether think, it be yeah. barriers, whether it be parking, whether it be right. uh, just overall operational aspects. Um, so to think that... To think that a, a, a NASCAR Cup race may come one day, mm -hmm. maybe a stretch, but to think that maybe some of the uh, 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 what you might call support series or some of the uh, secondary NASCAR series, um, like the ARCA or something like that. Yeah, yeah, I don't know that that's as, that's as much of a stretch. Um, you know, are conversations in place, and are we rolling down the path of a contract right now? No, yeah, um, right, but well, but yeah. has it been mentioned in passing? I'll say yes, um, but. Uh, there's so much going on right now in the NASCAR world, so many changes and so many things that are taking place that uh, uh, while while it did get acknowledgement, it didn't get, it hasn't got the embracing of, of you know, of leadership at this time. Right. We had you on the uh, radio show talking about the 24 hours, uh, Rolex 24 hours at Daytona. And you mentioned that the field was 60-some cars. And I've, I've aggravated you with this question, I think, every time you've been on either the radio or in your first time being on the podcast. Why can't NASCAR do that? Why can't they turn the, the Cup Series, the uh, Xfinity Series, the Truck Series, and have them all on the track at the same uh, time? Uh, the right track. The right track. That's a great, that's a great question. I, I, uh, I don't know that that's ever been thought of by anybody but you, bud. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> either either you're a genius or something else. <laughs> yeah, well, all right, we'll, we'll go with the something else. But uh, you know, I'm just I'm just thinking when I when I watch the cars at at Matul Petit Le Mans, you know, come through that first turn, 
and you see the group. You see the LMP cars, you see the GT cars, you see the, you know, the Porsches, the Corvettes, and all of that. I'm thinking to me, I'm thinking to myself, hey, that could be, you know, that could be whoever in a stock car and a truck coming up behind them, and the skill required to, you know, balance as fast cars against the slower uh, cars, if you will. I, d- I just think it'd be interesting. Well, I don't know if you recall, uh, and I forget the the time frame, but. Um, when NASCAR introduced the, I guess, the European qualifying uh, on the road courses where they put them out there in packs. You would put, you would go out there maybe like at six at a time. I don't think they set the whole group out at once, but, oh, my gosh, that was that was chaos. They felt like, there was why, how, why are you doing that? So it wasn't necessarily embraced. I'm not even sure if they still do it that way or not. <laughs> but, you know, it, NASCAR was always one car at a time and qualifying. Right. But I remember Watkins Glen, they they tried that at, at one time and, and again they I don't know if they still do it or not but I know it when they were doing that that was uh, putting multiple cars out there at a time where they were accustomed to single car so could you imagine putting three different series out there when they're accustomed just to three series well they could qualify separately and then you know just group them I don't know we're going off a of, uh, we're going down a rabbit hole that you know be is. like driving on two eighty five yeah yeah pretty <laughs> much <laughs> is there any burning question that you wanted to answer that we haven't asked about Rick Humphrey, uh, your career, the racetrack, racing in general? Wow, I can't, uh, I think we have, I think we've just about covered it all. We have picked your brain? Just about covered it all. Wow. You're going to come back again, though. I don't know that I have anything to add, so 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 maybe maybe we'll bring maybe, it back maybe, on the radio show. I'm probably that? yeah, that'd be that'd be fine. We okay. can always come up with something on that. But this this podcast, I don't think so. It, funny story. Uh, so when I was in eighth grade, we had this lady. She taught careers class. Her name was Miss Morgan. And uh, if you got in trouble, you had to write your life story. Ooh. She, you know, and I, I am ashamed to say, I got in got into trouble multiple times. <laughs> no. And so so uh, so the second or third time. Um, I handed in my life story. I said, "Miss Morgan, what'd you think?" She said, well, "It was kind of like the last time." I said, "Well, I've only lived one life, so I guess what I'm saying is we're gonna have to wait a while before I come back on the podcast because we've exhausted my my entire life here. So you're gonna have to give me four or five years to to add on." Wouldn't it be interesting if if you could send a paper to her now? Oh wow, wow, yeah, she yeah, it would be, yeah, it would be because it's been fun. I mean, I I can't I can't complain. I mean, there's days there's days where I joke. I say. Uh, you know, people say, what do you do? And I'm just, I, I'm in the motorsports industry. What are you doing that? And I tell them, and they're like, wow, that must be interesting. I said, it, it is. It has been. It's been great. It's been, um, uh, you know, it's provided very, you know, provided for our family. And, uh, but I also say it seems like it's harder to get out than it was to get in. Because not that I've always looked, not, not that I've looked seriously to get out, but it's like after a while you're like, oh, he's just a racetrack promoter. Well, you know what? So much more to it. Yeah, and there there is, but again, I, I wouldn't I wouldn't even begin to think about you know what you might be able to do outside. I guess I'm kind of here for a while. <laughs> I, I've already been here for a while, but I guess I'm gonna be here a little longer. Good stuff, Rick Humphrey from Michelin Raceway Road, Atlanta. Uh, can't wait to hear some more stories. Uh, we'll give you another few years, <laughs> then we'll have you back. You good with that? Very good. All right. Thank you so much for taking the time to be with us here, Bud's Garage, uh, the Bud's Garage Overdrive, the podcast. My pleasure. So, Tim, you ordered anything for any of your 14 <laughs> classic 
well, muscle well, cars, I use, the, yeah, I use use the term loosely. Why do you ask? <laughs> well, because if you had an older, you don't have an older Pontiac Firebird, do you? No, I don't. Well, if you did, yeah. you could get the you could get the uh, the wheels that fit the the Rally Two wheels that fit those cars back in the day. The, the, the 60, Firebirds, seven, sixty-eight, sixty-nine. Yeah, 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 yeah. The yeah. older ones. Yeah, the, the, yeah, yeah. The older ones. What's cool about I, I've had rally wheels on, on a lot of different cars, mm-hmm. and they got the trim ring. You know, yeah, so you got the right. center, you got the trim ring, and the trim rings always get beat up putting them on and stuff mm-hmm. like that. It's all part of the wheel with oh, these wheels. Wow. These are a billet wheel. Okay. And they are a, a, a available in different sizes. Mm-hmm. And uh, you, you want to get a bigger wheel nowadays because so you're putting disc stock. brakes. On. Oh, yeah, yeah. It looks, yeah, but it you looks could stock. do it in like a 17 or 18 inch. Absolutely. Oh, man. So it clears your disc brake kits and things like that. Exactly. And those are available at year one. And uh, they have got so many things in the catalogs and so many different catalogs. What you need to do is... Get online, yearone.com, and they're restoring Ooh. American performance. And take a look at the catalog for your car, and then order a catalog with okay. your parts order. Sure. And when you get your parts order, if you just write, you know, just let them know, BUD20 is a discount code. Mm-hmm. And if it's a discountable item, you'll get 20% off. Now, let me tell you, I have rolled in there and ordered, you know, gotten four or $5,000 worth of parts in a shot for right. a car I'm doing. Hey, twenty percent off is a big deal. That's huge. That is a big deal. Uh, you can check them out at yearone.com and uh, check out their get on their 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 uh, email list, and they'll send you out a blast every week, okay. uh, telling you what's going on in the classic car restoration world. Perfect reaction time. Okay, Tim, you ready for reaction time? I am. Rick Humphrey. Yeah. President, uh, manager of Michelin Raceway Road Atlanta. Interesting story. Very interesting person. Got from NASCAR uh, marketing to NASCAR to to IMSA, which is now NASCAR. And, mm-hmm. uh, you know, a lot of folks in racing race to live. I mean, that's yeah. what they do. He made racing a living. Right. And and there is a difference. It's a fine line, uh-huh. but there is a difference. You know, he's he's, he's got a family. He's working on the business side of things because a lot of a lot of folks that are in racing aren't necessarily tuned into the business side of things and what it takes to run a track and make everybody happy and sure. make improvements happy, make the fans happy. You know, it's it, the toughest job in the industry. It is very tough. Right, right. And uh, there's there's not a lot of free time. Mm. You are working every weekend. No, but he sees the value in oh, yeah. racing. Yep. And having to pick through the details to make it profitable. Well, I've seen him at the track in action on mm-hmm. a race day. And he is, you know, I know he's he's putting out fires right and left, but he's cool, calm, and collected. And, you know, he, he's just, he's what the he's what the sport needs right now in, as far as track management goes. Right. So, uh, I appreciate him taking the time to come in out of his schedule. Oh, and, yeah. And talk to us about all the things going on. And if you get a chance, you know, to come down to the, we say it's the Atlanta area. It's really not in Atlanta. It's quite, quite a ways north of Atlanta in Brazelton uh, Road, Atlanta, Michelin Raceway Road, Atlanta. Come down and see it. It has improved tremendously mm-hmm. from the days of old. And uh, I, I think you'll have a really good time. Come down for something like Petit Le Mans. Oh, and, yeah. I, and I believe, and they're not going to see it in my format but uh, that I suggested, but I believe that at some point in time, NASCAR will be running an event 
uh, an actual NASCAR Cup mm -hmm. race of some sort, or truck race, or Xfinity race, or whatever it might be at Road Atlanta, it might be a good time for some of the NASCAR people to come down and see what goes on at Road Racetrack. I think you'd be thoroughly impressed with the facilities, um, the access, the good stuff for the fans, sure. the amount of places to watch the racing from, and uh, you know, Rick and the whole staff will take good care of you when you're at Michelin Raceway, Road Atlanta. I'd love to see a NASCAR race at Road Atlanta. Man, that would be exciting. Sure would. We'll see. Yep. Well, next week's show is going to uh, feature current automotive technology and trends, as always, informative mm -hmm. automotive buffoonery, plus a visit from linear technical uh, student, instructor, and now the president of the college, Tim McDonald. Oh, and very interesting conversation. He's a guy that lives the technical college because he started out in the technical college. Right. And they've got a new campus, and he's, he's built it up. It's just uh, just a fantastic story. Very humble guy. Mm -hmm. Very talented guy. Sure. You know, with machines and things like that. Want to thank Lanier Technical College, Year One Pulley Systems, and Year One Classic Car. Mm -hmm.